0: Coming up in this podcast, state budget, lithium expansion, medical research, Chevron's new headquarters, Sterling First and Rosendorf collapses, a rare IPO, Azure Capital, and our special report on universities.
1: Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Panel and Mark Buyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia.
0: Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Buyer. First time in uh, some time that the, two, the pair of us have been in the same uh, podcast room together.
1: We've been enjoying holidays and travel.
0: Yes, correct. Uh, now, Mark, first up, uh, you attended the state budget lock-up uh, and got the lowdown from the Treasurer. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, look, a pretty good set of numbers and uh, circumstances uh, is helping Ben Wyatt in his budget repair task. So a return to surplus. Um, we've had a lot of politicians at a federal level promising returns to surplus. Um, similar story at a state level, but it's very believable in this case, uh, projecting an operating surplus of 1.5 billion in the current financial year. So a few drivers behind that, uh, the GST deal uh, that was done um, is leading to a big increase in uh, GST revenue coming back to WA. Um, also, generally, um, very strong growth in mineral royalties and iron ore in particular. Uh, been a huge surge in iron ore royalties, driven particularly by the, the upkick in the iron ore price. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, you know the, the Labor government has had uh, consistently um, good control over spending. Uh, That was an issue um, under previous governments, uh, but they've been very diligent around that, uh, keeping control on public sector wages. Um, So overall, uh, a very respectable set of numbers. And then that's starting to flow through to getting state debt um, under a degree of control. Yes, I was going to ask about that. So how much are they talking about paying that down? So currently it's around $27 billion dollars Now, um, there had been projections a few years ago that it was going to go north of about $40 billion. Mm. Um, So that's obviously, um, you know, that that was a major problem at that point. So general government debt, um, but only coming down slightly over the next few years uh, to about $25 billion. Um, Though if you look at the total public sector, so including Western Power and Synergy and so on, Still, some pretty big numbers there. Net debt still around thirty-nine billion dollars. Yeah, okay. Um, at that level, um, and coming down very slowly. So, yeah, they, they've they've stopped the growth of debt, um, and we're starting starting to get it down a little bit.
0: Gotcha. And uh, yeah, look, I've heard obviously the the treasurer speak uh, a couple of occasions since then, um, and uh, you know he's obviously maintaining that tight lid on uh, on salaries and wages for the public service. And I think business will generally think that's a good thing, especially as, you know, still many in business can't pay their workers anymore at the moment. So it's a, still a tough economy. Um, I was at an event uh, this week where uh, uh, the Treasurer was speaking. and And prior to that, there was a a bit of congratulations around the GST, and and some people were singled out. Uh, Nigel, sadly, Andrew Forrest, for example, around the role they played in uh, in in convincing Canberra and other states to change the GST formula. So I found that pretty fascinating that uh, they're recognising the role of some individuals. Mm. Um, and then I think I guess the the one common bit of commentary I saw out of business with CCI was. Uh, raising the issue of payroll tax again um, as something that hadn't been uh, any any sort of change there. And I'm kind of thinking, well, I think that's just a, I just can't see how they can do it. The way the GST formula works, there's just no incentive for anyone to go first on changing payroll tax. So uh, it's a bit of a shame, really.
1: And in terms of the area they are trying to be, um, if you like, more generous to, um, it's very much the household sector. Yeah. So Ben Wyatt was pushing very hard the line that household fees and charges only going up by, I think, 2%, and electricity charges are going up by even less than that, uh, just by the CPI increase. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly, um, you know, the household sort of hip pocket is what they're trying to look after.
0: And I think that, you know, that's a fine balance, isn't it? You know, governments in, in the past, as you remember, had things like freezers on power prices or water prices, and, and then all it did was create this kind of... This monster where it was politically difficult to add to that and if you did it was going to be a big jump but otherwise it was just became every year it became a bigger and bigger subsidy I think at the moment we've got to try and you can, you've got to try and avoid that but at the same time recognize that as wages are not growing therefore adding adding to co- household costs is challenging as well so mm. yeah it look fine line for them but I think all credit uh, you know Ben white he's uh, he's put 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 the hard yards in and and uh, and I think we'll, he'll, he'll enjoy this moment. Um, and they've done it in the middle of an election campaign and not done any damage, so that's kind of interesting too. That's, yes. Um, now, one of the areas touched on the budget is the impact of the lithium sector, which highlights some further strength in that sector, Mark.
1: Yeah, and look, I thought this some numbers in the budget put some context around this lithium boom that we've spoken a lot about. Um, and in fact, there was some more news on that front over the past week. Um, Talison Lithium, which has the big Greenbushes mine down in the southwest, and uh, that's the one big, long-running lithium mine. Uh, they've got EPA approval to. Further expand production there to about 2.8 million tonnes. So that's sort of doubling what they've already got, which follows some expansions they've already done. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, they also announced a contract uh, to a group, Mondium, which is a, a joint venture between Monodelphus and Lycopodium, mm-hmm. to treat the tailings dumps there. Because in previous years, when they also produced tantalum and it past times, tantalum was considered the more valuable commodity so all this material went into the tailings full of lithium Gotcha. so now they're going to rework that and extract the lithium from there so it shows how times have changed also interesting, when you look at uh, mining royalties, that's one of the big sources of revenue for the state government and yet despite this lithium boom it's still very small compared to iron ore so, just to throw a couple of numbers to give some context, iron ore royalties last year contributed $5.4 billion, lithium royalties, about $100 million. Yeah, right. So, you know, we've got a long way to go. So, we were still heavily exposed to iron ore. And in fact, that was one of the, the points that the Treasurer spoke about. They've actually changed, state Treasury has changed the way that they forecast the iron ore price. So they're saying that these very high prices we're enjoying at the moment, they're assuming that they'll taper off very quickly and we'll go down to the mid-70s, then down to the mid-60 dollars per tonne, Mm. um, which I think is a very prudent thing on their, their part. They're not sort of trying to bank continuation of high prices.
0: Conservative forecasting.
1: Despite that still heavily exposed to commodity prices and iron ore in particular which no. can be volatile.
0: Yeah, no fair enough. And look uh, finally on the budget there was some funding announced towards medical research and Mark again you've had some broader news in that area this week.
1: Yep, so look I think we've spoken a lot about the potential to build up um more commercial opportunity in western australia off the back of our expertise in medical research. So the government's doing its bit. They put about $20 million a year into medical research. They're now going to um, add about 15 to $20 million per year on top of that. And that's been welcomed by you know, groups like the, the Telethon Kids Institute and you know, other groups like the Perkins Institute, who are these you know, world-class expertise. And I think what we'd love to see off the back of that is more commercial opportunity. And we had a great story during the week, um, OrthoCell. Mm. Um, that's a company that's commercializing some IP out of the University of Western Australia. Yeah. Uh, they're listed on the ASX about five years ago. Um, haven't really made a great impression, uh, but they've just announced the results of some trials that they're doing. Uh, they've got a new uh, type of uh, a product um, for treating nerve damage um, and the first batch of results came out from human trials. They looked very promising. The share price quadrupled in one day. Nice. One of those amazing days of trading. Yeah, you'd um, be happy if you held some shares or you are the managers with some options. I think the company was expecting a bit of a kick-up when the news came <laughs> out, but I'm sure not even they were expecting anything of that magnitude. Yeah, there you
0: go. And from recollection, uh, I think they're, they're, they've got a lot of research into stem cell using stem cells to do stuff around cartilage and, and the like so it's I, know, I think their initial stuff's shoulder stuff shoulder
1: shoulder well it? in fact well, one of the things that um, they were explaining to me is that as a platform technology it has a whole range of uses right. so in fact the one area that they've already got regulatory approval in Europe for is dental applications Right. Um, so sort of dental surgery it can be used there um, as well as damaging as you say cartilage and shoulders and, and um, limb damage mm. so um, you yeah, very exciting opportunity and hopefully we see you know a lot more of this coming out of Western Australia yeah
0: agreed agreed um, <clears throat> now moving away from the budget Mark uh, but some good news in many ways was Chevron's decision to announce a formal deal on its new
1: Australian headquarters yeah, look, it was about six years ago that Chevron bought one of the lots down at Elizabeth Quay, um, and there's been lots of uh, to and fro ever since then. But, yeah, during the week on Monday morning, they had a formal signing of a contract with Brookfield. So this means the next big office tower in Perth uh, will definitely be going ahead, um, construction starting next year. Um, and people who are listening... Um, Recently, to our podcast, we'll know, uh, construction's been very soft, mm. um, and particularly in that office space. Um, this is a 29-level office tower. Um, so rather than Chevron being the developer, um, they've actually sold that lot at Elizabeth Quay to Brookfield, signed a 15-year lease for 78% of the tower. So, you know, great to have an anchor tenant like that. Yep. So now it's all systems go for Brookfield. They've already got Multiplex in there as the construction company um, so yeah a little bit of life coming into uh, commercial construction in that office space mm. um, and also I guess another step in in filling out Elizabeth Key.
0: Yeah so Mark um, that's an interesting arrangement there because I mean obviously Brookfield I presume will build own and manage that asset um, uh, but Chevron has a history of actually owning its office assets around the world, and I think we were all expecting that in this case. So that's not happening, I presume, from what you're saying.
1: No, no. So it's certainly in this case. And they'd been indicating this was the path they were heading down in Perth yeah, okay. um, last year and now formalised the deal. Gotcha. you. So they okay. brought in Brookfield as the owner and the developer.
0: Yeah, and obviously another important... Um, part of the, the Elizabeth Quay puzzle, uh, you know, another another development there. You've got the Ritz-Carlton just being finished and then this one will fit pretty much next to that. So yep. that kind of uh, eastern side of uh, of Elizabeth Quay will be completed. It just requires the western side to get anything done now.
1: Yeah, and look, yeah, there's, there's three, well, the, in, in several cases there's been double lots have been combined. So Brookfield already owns lots five and six next okay. door. Uh, they've already released some designs there. They've got plans for a, a twin tower, um, but you know, early days on that one. Yep. You know, they basically it's gonna be driven by the market. And then the other group that's got lots there is um, CA and Associates um, now they've partnered with Adrian Finney on some of those lots mm. uh, they've released some drawings in fact they're doing a little bit of um, early site work on um, on one of their lots there and, and the planning minister Rita Safiotti um, she's saying that they're due to get work underway um, in the coming year Gotcha. Um, she actually suggested that the whole, whole of Elizabeth Key could be developed within about six years um, subject to market I don't know, my hunch is that that's a little bit optimistic, Yeah. Uh, that sort of timeline. Um, it'll be uh, interesting to see how quickly it does develop. Wait and see. All right.
0: Good Good to know. Now, um, Mark, uh, lots of positive news there, um, but it's fair to say WA isn't out of the woods yet, I think, uh, in some sectors. And uh, this week, we saw two significant collapses, or I think they're both kind of significant, um, signalling challenges in, in property and
1: in retail. Yeah, so Sterling First, not a, a household name, um, but they're very active in property management um, and, uh, and and getting money from investors. Um, they brought in Ferrier Hodgson as administrators a week ago. Uh, now, they say that they manage about 3,500 properties around the country, uh, worth about $900 million. Uh, they actually tried to do an IPO, um, or at least um, did some preliminary work on an IPO a couple of years ago mm. uh, didn't get up there's some interesting history there um, some of the older listeners might recall the name Armstrong Jones um, very big group in property fund management back in the 80s and 90s Absolutely. Um, and Ray Jones was one of the founders of that group very successful uh, he was also a director of Sterling First up until last year and um, Current directors include Ryan Jones, um, also Simon Bell, an interesting name. He was a director, sorry, rather an executive of West Point Group, another property funds management group out of Perth, Mm. um, uh, led by Norm Carey uh, that came to an untimely end. So, look, clearly a lot of money tied up there. We'll see what comes out of that. And the other one, um, Rosendorf. I mean, that's a... um, very much a household name in western Australia, yeah. uh, been around for more than fifty years as a jewelry business, um, but you know tough times in jewelry um, once again, Cordamentha um, has come in as receivers there, um, doing a big sale at the moment, about nine million dollars worth of jewelry uh, that they 're putting on the market at discount prices. There you go um, but yeah, you know a, a, an iconic household name. Um, brought undone by the changing retail market. You know, a soft market and more and more online.
0: Yeah, look, I must admit, I'm not gonna ever claim that I've been to Rosendorf's. So, uh, you know, my, my jewellery purchases are, are rare, and, uh, and, uh, but I have made some, I just haven't ever been to Uh but a, but a name that we all, I mean, you know, it was a name that was advertised and well-known if you grew up in Perth. Um, and, uh, you know, an interesting history there. Uh, you know, I guess it's I, I look, presumably you, you never know how much the family's made out of that business over the years. You, you kind of hope that it's not all, you know, held in the, in the, as, the asset. The only asset is the, is the retail empire or retail shop. But anyway, I guess we'll learn more about that in the future. Um, now, Mark, a rare IPO announced this week uh, with Explorer, let me get this name right, Mont-Royal, is that correct? Mont-Royal. Mont-Royal. Um, sorry, I'm jumping into my Pulp Fiction there. <laughs> uh, now, it's launched float. Now, w- w- what's the context there?
1: Yeah, look, I found this really interesting. Um, only the second Western Australian explorer to list on the ASX this year. Mm. Um, now, through our, our corporate finance database that we have on, on our BNIQ um, section on our website, uh, you know, we've got we've been tracking the IPO market for a long time, and this is about as quiet as we've well seen in in the past decade yeah. since we've been tracking the numbers. Um, so quite extraordinary, um, you know. There's usually something going on, whether it's if there's not IPOs, there's reverse takeovers, you know, the backdoor listings. Yeah. Um, so this just says um, there's, there's a real, um, I guess, you know, nervousness, um, lack of confidence in the markets. I mean, nationally, there's only been 20 listings for the whole year, um, and only two for WA. Yeah, um,
0: I, I was staggered by that. You know, I mean, we've got a graph there on our. On our website, looking at all the different versions of uh, capital finance and and, and uh, equity capital markets and the like, and or corporate finance and equity capital markets, and and I, I don't think we've ever seen it this low. I think it was the end of two thousand and fourteen, beginning of two thousand and fifteen, was it? When, when we saw something as close to this, but even then, as the IPOs had hit rock bottom and mergers and acquisition activity was down and everything, we still saw, as you said, a, a a spike in or some reverse takeover activity whereas that's just out of the picture right now and you know presumably that's because there isn't any appetite or is it that the reverse takeover markets tightened up with regulation and the
1: like well certainly the ASX has tightened up its approach um, I mean to put it bluntly they don't want really small companies listing mm. um, they want sort of larger more established companies um, rather than the really small speculative end of the market Mm. so you know it's certainly been tougher to uh to get a deal done um they're really applying a lot more scrutiny um, to the the deals that are in the market Um, and i've seen multiple cases where they've gone back to companies and said give us more information if you want to go ahead with this deal. Gotcha. Tell us a lot more about what's going on here. Mm. So that's been a challenge for people. Um, I suppose looking at the example of Mont Royal Resources, I mean, look, they're a gold explorer. Uh, I think they're show, they show show something about what you need to get a deal done in this market. And it's about the caliber of the people that are involved. So their major shareholder and one of their directors is Michael O'Keefe. Now, he's one of the guys that made a big pile of money from Riversdale Mining. That was the African iron ore company yep. that Rio Tinto famously took over for $4 billion. Yep. Um, subsequently, was not able to develop that project, but that's another story. Um, but look, Michael O'Keefe has a, a long track record of success. May I ask, and, is he involved with Riversdale
0: Mark Two? He is indeed. Right, so he's about to make another pile of
1: money. That's then. right. Uh, <laughs> that's the company that um, Hancock Prospecting yeah. It's just, um, just got
0: over on the brink right. of yeah.
1: completing their takeover. Mm. So once again, that's a coal stock, assets in Canada. Um, so, you know, the guy's got a great track record. Mm. And they've got some really good investors in there with them. So Charlie Bass, mm-hmm. who made his money from Aquila Resources. Um, Brian Flannery, now he's from Queensland. He made a bucket load of money when he sold his coal company, Felix Resources. So, you know, when you get a few of those sorts of names in there that attracts other investors. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so, you know, good luck to Mont Royal Resources. Um, I hope a few other people follow in their wake.
0: Yeah, that's what you hope, isn't it? That it just gets uh, gets someone's uh, decided it's on and they uh, get things moving. Um, now, in a related story, I guess, uh, Azua Capital has sold a big stake to a major French group that
1: many will have never heard of. Uh, that's right. Um, look. Um, Nativus, it's a French, a very large French banking group. Um, I'm sorry, Natixis, rather. Yes, a little I'm more sorry. carefully yeah. at my writing there. Um, look, they're coming in and taking fifty-two percent of Azure Capital. So this is a really significant transaction for the Perth market. Um, Azure was set up uh, by John Poynton and Mark Barnaba, and has had great success over a long period of time. In fact, I went to our BNIQ IQ database and looked at all the M&A transactions that we've recorded there since 2010. Azure is the number one advisor in the in the market is right? over all that time. Um, they've advised on 73 transactions worth nearly eight billion dollars. Um, so you know that that I guess says a lot about their, their profile in the market. Yeah. Um, now, the two founders, uh, John Poynton and Mark Barnaba, have moved on. Um, Jeff Rasmussen took over from then, and then Jeff tragically passed away a few years ago. Um, so now there's the, if you like, the next generation, guys like Adrian Arundel and Simon Price uh, are running the show. Um, and uh, they've got a really good team, they've got nearly 30 people there. They're still very active in the market. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough for them. Mm. Um, and we've obviously already spoken about how the market generally is a bit quiet. Um, but also, you know, the founders, you know, they were the, the rainmakers, I think that's the term. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were the guys that brought deals in. Yeah. And when you don't have people of that kind in the business and you're not part of a big network, yeah, you know, it gets really tough.
0: No, I agree, and I, I think you know, uh, cautiously with Jeff Rasmussen, I would say he was also a founder, but he was sort of more the the mechanic. He was the guy that that really knew how to make a deal work uh, in the in the back end, and I, and I, and I guess John Poynton was probably the deal maker at, at, at the beginning with Mark Barnaba. So they were a really interesting triumvirate, if you want to call it. Um, and so, you know, I guess it's that question of. That market, back when Azua started, was so different than what it is today. I mean, it was probably half the size, and it was probably, you know, they ruled the roost in a town that was active mining, but very much Perth, whereas now it's, it's, it's yes, you're right, it's inactive, much bigger, but it's much more national, and, uh, you know, there's some big players in town now. I know we have a couple that may have pulled the pin in the downturn, but... There's some major players here that Azura didn't have to compete with, so it's a different. So maybe they just need that grunt behind them to uh, to keep pushing out and 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 make the next level.
1: Mm. In fact, it was interesting looking at the names when I was checking you know that that track record over ten years. the other names that were up there um, below Azure, uh, Macquarie. yeah, so you know the the people at Macquarie have changed a lot over the years. Um, but you know they're just they're a big group with a big network with a strong balance sheet yeah you know that counts for a lot um, similarly UBS mm-hmm. you know same thing the people have changed but that balance sheet and that brand that brings deals in yeah what um, Hartley's were up there as well mm-hmm. um, you know very strong local broking firm um, and Gresham now that's a name that's, that's Tape it off i would suggest over the years yes they used to be a lot more active in the market but we don't see them so much these days
0: no you're right that is one that sort of drifted away they haven't disappeared of course and but they may have changed their focus and what they're just less in the resources sector maybe
1: yeah and look you know, and i think they're doing a bit more on the east coast and they've got their private equity arm but yeah certainly not as active as an advisory firm as they used to be
0: no fair enough all right Now, Mark, our special report this week is on the university sector, an important part of the economy in so many ways in WA. What has business news covered there?
1: Yep. well, this is um, a last hurrah from Delia Price, who's uh, heading off to London. Um, This is her final detailed report for us. Um, She's had a good chat to a lot of the vice chancellors um, around town. One of the frustrations they have is the level of regulation that sits around the university sector, which is tied into the funding that they get, um, primarily from the federal government, and the perennial changes that occur in that space, um, and the reviews that always seem to be happening, um, and the challenges they get with getting the research funding, um, and all the, the, if you like, the, the controls and the regulation that sit around that. So a good discussion around that issue. And then the other one that we've looked at is the international education market. You know, This is a, a big industry nationally. Um, it's an area where, as we've discussed previously, uh, Western Australia has come off the boil. Um, our market share has fallen away very sharply in that space. Mm. Um, our share of um, international student enrolments nationally is about 5.9%. Yeah, right. um, so it's come right down. But a couple of encouraging signs, if you look at the latest stats on um, student commencements, we've actually had an uptick there in the past year. So we're up to about 8% there. So if that continues, um, we'll start to rebuild market share. The other significant thing is that um, there's a a greater focus on this area. Uh, Rod Jones, formerly of Navitas, um, heads up um, a task force for the state government. He's spoken very positively about the fact that the universities and the government are really focused on this area. Um, there's a commitment for extra funding uh, was part of the budget, and the universities will be matching that. So, you know, more funding on promotion. Um, and, you know, if we can get more students here, Um, here we get a lot more visitors their families follow, their friends follow Um, it's good for business um, and good for the universities in many ways Um, it brings a more international perspective to them Um, also brings a challenge and uh, we've had some publicity during the week around Murdoch University um, where there were suggestions that they'd been lowering their entry standards um, to get more international students through the door now Murdoch has refuted yeah, very claims. very strongly
0: refuted, so that's yeah. going to be interesting.
1: But, you know, this is, a, 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 this is not a new issue. Um, this is a challenge that all the universities face. Yeah. They want the international students and the revenue they bring in, um, but they need to maintain their academic standards and their reputation.
0: Yeah. No, look, uh, you know, I, I get, uh, that, that, that conflict's been there forever and a day, uh, you know, but they've also got, you know, they've got a very uh, uh, inflexible workforce i think in the uh, in the university sector that, that that's probably a challenge as well and it's almost like a traditional workforce with people got long-term contracts and i know in many cases tenure has kind of disappeared for many academics but nevertheless there's still it's, it's hard for them to move isn't it so you know i guess that's that's a different challenge than some other industries so you know you kind of got that they're facing a very new world University study is is you know a cha- you know we can all go and study almost anywhere in the world virtually these days. People are some people are choosing not to study because you can you can pick up knowledge in other ways. Uh, the campus has changed; you don't need to be on campus. And obviously, international students, some of them treat that as really a, a chance to for economic uh, opportunity in terms of moving country and things like that. So. Uh, yeah, they're right in the middle of, the, of a very, very difficult se- um, time in their industry. So, you know, I ca- all credit to those who can navigate these difficult waters. Thanks, Mark. Um, Business News has launched a new podcast called Office Hours, hosted by Damien Stone from property specialist Y Research. In the first episode, Damien sits down with Real Estate Institute of WA President, and Managing Director of Momentum Wealth, Damien Collins, to discuss Perth's residential property market, the genesis of Mr Collins' buyers agency and property syndicator, and the potential ramifications of regulatory changes in the industry. Head to www.businessnews.com.au podcasts
1: to find it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Panel and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.